Hello and welcome to Broadband. Here at Broadband, we live by the philosophy that one needs other human beings to teach them how to be human. Our guide for today on this journey of communal actualization is Dr. Bassam Elfili, the Innovation and Enterprise Director at the Kuwait Foundation for the Advancement of Sciences, otherwise known as KFAS. Dr. Elfili is also the founder of Orbital Space, the Middle East's first private company to provide access to space through CubeSat technology. The best way to describe Dr. Elfili is as a polymath, and his knowledge spans an expansive range of subjects. I want to set the stage for this interview by shining the spotlight on three main points of focus for our dialogue. The first being Dr. Elfili and his unique human journey. Next, I want to explore the complexities of the innovation game, which means Kuwait as the game's map and small and large businesses as the players. And finally, I want to provide you, the listener, with insights on the habits of successful innovators and to introduce you to some resources to achieve your goals. Without further ado, hello, Dr. Ophelia. How are you? Good. How are you? Thank you for having me. Oh, thanks for joining the show. Um, so let me start by saying that it's very easy to call you a polymath. From a uh, PhD in microelectromechanical systems to being a visiting scientist at MIT, a director of innovation at KFAS, a space pioneer. I mean, the list goes on. Do you remember the first few steps in your long and successful professional journey? Uh, I always been passionate about space. And, you know, I had that mindset that if I do well in school, I will get to space. So fresh out of high school. I know nothing about, you know, university ranking system in the U.S., but I really wanted to have the best education, but I didn't know where to find it. Um, so my, my choice for the university to go to was based on distance from where the space shuttle was launched. So I went to Florida Tech because it was the nearest university to NASA's Kennedy Space Center, the U.S. main gateway to space. My logic then was, you know, I would have more chances to be exposed to space technology than anywhere else. I also engaged in some of NASA projects that allowed involvement of students and even visited many of NASA facilities around the U.S. Of course, being an international student, the question about security clearance was always there. However, back in the 90s, being from a country that does not have a space program, was to my advantage because there was no threat of transferring the technology. I remember one story where I actually applied for security clearance along with two other international students. One was from France and one from China. They were rejected because they were concerned that they might transfer whatever they learned from their engagement with NASA to their countries. That makes sense. So, I mean, the U.S. government was saying, ah, we, can, we don't need to worry about Mr. Bassam Elfili because there's no space program in Kuwait. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's what happened. That's amazing. But I mean, okay, so it's amazing that your drive was so intense to the point where you only thought about going to school based on the distance, longitude and latitude from the space launching uh, platform, right? So that is really cool. But then at the same time, I bet you were around so many new innovations. I mean, you said security clearance. I mean, does that mean you were working on technology that was innovative and mind-blowing? Yes. So during my early 20s as an undergraduate student, I learned so much from my interaction with NASA scientists and engineers you know, and worked in several projects. You know, one project was, you know, back in the 90s, you know, it was the launch of the next generation of GPS satellites. And they were looking into 
technologies that will deliver these satellites to their orbit. And these are some of the, the projects I actually got engaged in during such early stage in my life. So I learned from my experience and engagement with NASA that it is possible to make the impossible possible. I witnessed firsthand how space projects are planned and executed. So my way of thinking was greatly influenced by what I have learned from my engagement with NASA. And the key learning for me was, you know, to achieve great things, you need to be brave and pay attention to details, very small details. And this is something I learned the hard way from NASA. Like they care about even the small bullets and nuts, you know, how big, how small they are. It's just amazing how details oriented they are. And so what does a perfect world from an innovation and technology perspective look like to you, knowing that you are so driven by it and so enamored by the world of innovation and technology? Innovation does not come out of nothing. Innovation and technology development requires an ecosystem where multiple and interconnected players, such as government, civil society, the private sector, universities, research centers, individual entrepreneurs, and others, they need to all work together collectively and effectively to solve problems or create value. Collaboration and exchange of knowledge and ideas are key to successful effort in value creation. So we need an ecosystem, you know, in a perfect world. But let's also kind of set the stage to this to this platform that is Kuwait, right? So uh, Kuwait can be described in many ways. Two of those ways are a welfare state and then a resource-based economy. So let's break down how these two descriptions affect innovation, Dr. Elfili. How does a welfare state affect the public's desire to push the envelope and drive innovation? So welfare state as a concept is a noble concept. So in theory, it should drive innovation if it was implemented right. However, some of the policies of rent distribution, such as subsidizing utilities or providing public employment, have resulted in substantial distortion in inefficiencies and institutional deficiencies. Therefore, in, in our case, a welfare state has an adverse effect on innovation. Well, my second description of Kuwait was a resource-based economy. So what are some of the limitations of innovation that come from a resource-based economy? So, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a resource-based economy if we solve the problem of sustainability, right? Because you're going to always run out. But if there are multiple sources, it's possible to be innovative and create an ecosystem for innovation. And this is where, where I wanted to allude to is that in order for innovation to thrive and sustain, we need an ecosystem. We need a system where there is supply and demand. And then from the supply side, we need a strong education system that produces generations with the right mindset for innovation and entrepreneurship. We need productive research institutions capable of exploring new frontiers and advancing our knowledge. From the demand side, we need a government expenditure that encourages and rewards innovations that brings value to the local community, as well as angel investors and venture capital that is willing to take high risk, of course, for high returns. Right. So KFAS, the organization and foundation that you work for, is kind of leading the pack in, in trying to 
have some knowledge transfer through their educational platform. And in 2016, Professor Ricardo Hausman from the Harvard Kennedy School gave a talk at KFAS in which he states that, you know, sure, education is important, but it's not that education or institutions that drive economic growth, but it's technological tools, recipes, and know-how, which resides in the brain of the people in the society that promote growth. And just like you were so enamored and so basically in love with technology from a very young age, you realize from a very young age that that is the name of the game and that's what's going to blow things up and change the game to go to the next level. You know, the statement by Professor Hansman is true for many nations. However, we have to use reasonable judgment as not all nations are at the same maturity level. In some nations, I'm not talking specifically about Kuwait, but in some nations, I mean, without proper basic education, you will not know how to use the tools and develop new know-how because you know you, you lack the very basic um, educational um, elements. You know, in general, in, in Kuwait, we are consumers of technology because we have the financial resources to buy technology. For example, we have advanced telecommunication infrastructure because we are consumers of smartphones and social media, not because it was developed in Kuwait. Right. right. I mean, we can afford to buy the latest tools and gadgets, but we're not building them here. And another point to what you said before was that we'll need venture capitalists and angel investors and other funds to help support the sector. So how does KFAS fund these small and large businesses? So when we say KFAS fund companies, we should be clear that KFAS funds specific projects and initiatives that could build and, and enhance the scientific and technological capabilities of companies in Kuwait. I see. So when we say funding, we're more talking about grants for specific research and projects. Exactly. So KFAS provides incentives for companies to carry out R&D activities. And the way we do that is we do it with what we call a co-funding grant scheme where KFAS takes a significant amount of the risk by providing financial grants, but the company should also invest in such projects to demonstrate their seriousness and commitment to develop their own R&D capabilities. Of course, the amount of the grant depends on many factors, including the size of the company, the nature of the business activities, and also the maturity level of the companies. Amazing. Right. And so you work with startups, you work with large businesses alike, and I'm assuming you have a diverse portfolio of pain points. What are some of the pain points that both these large and small companies share between them? So I would say limited talent pool. It is difficult in Kuwait to find skilled and talented people. Another thing is stifling laws and regulations. It is understood that laws and regulations are made to protect the public good. However, unnecessary over-regulations or inflexibility to accommodate new ideas can have a damaging effect on businesses. Um, also, lack of reliable data to make informed decisions. Most of the data available are either outdated, not reliable, or incomplete. Um, another point is limited business opportunities and, of course, a small market. These are the main pain points that I've seen that goes across different segments of the private sector, whether large corporations or small businesses. Mm. 
And I can see here all these small pain points kind of add up and create a really big, massive one. And uh, the Pareto principle states that for many outcomes, roughly 80% of the consequences come from 20% of the causes. So what is the 20% of change that would make up 80% of the difference in a business's ability to quickly respond to an evolving market? I believe if we manage to update 20% of our laws and regulations, it would have a significant impact on companies' abilities to cope with business challenges they face all the time. And this I've been hearing from large companies to, to, to small startup businesses. If there's anything we can do, it would be to update our laws and regulations. Hey guys, this is the part of the podcast where people usually tell you to buy this product or subscribe to this service, but we don't have any sponsors yet. So we'll sell ourselves instead. We have four simple asks. One, please subscribe if you haven't already. Two, share the podcast, share it with your friends, share it with your family, and share it with a stranger. Start a conversation. Three, check out the show notes. You can find all the references that we've already made and are about to make on there. And four, engage with us on Instagram and email. Enjoy the rest of the show. The social scientist Everett M. Rogers developed the innovation adoption life cycle. And to the listeners who are not familiar with this illustration, it's a sociological model that describes the adoption or the acceptance of a new product or innovation. And he found that 2.5% of the population were considered innovators, 13.5% were early adopters, while the majority of the people in the population make up what's known as the late majority and the laggards, and that's 50% of the population. So just like government bodies might have a difficulty in changing or apprehension to change, it seems like the population at large also has this apprehension to change. So Dr. Elfili, what is your theory on the reason behind people's apprehension and resistance to change? So resistance to change originate from fear of the unknown. People are uncomfortable with change, especially sudden changes, as they don't know how to deal with the new situation. However, slow and gradual change, as well as clarity of the path forward, reduces resistance significantly. So it's mainly because they don't know what's going to happen next when they see change. Right. Yeah, I definitely understand. And everyone can see that from a personal level as well. I mean, you see friendships end and relationships end based on like sudden changes, someone getting a promotion, someone leaving the country, etc. So I completely understand it from that perspective. And, and I think once you kind of, because a lot of people live life, I mean, everyone lives life through their own paradigm. And once you start to break down these big concepts into like your own personal life, I think you can easily start to kind of see eye to eye with them. So chasing innovation does come with its laundry list of risks and un uncertainties. I mean, so what are some of the fail safe measures that a business or pioneers can implement to ensure that they stay afloat, even if their innovative idea isn't received well by the public? You have to uh, do your homework uh, before um, you start uh, your endeavor with innovation. Also, don't assume things. Make decisions uh, based on reliable data and real evidences. Um, also, you can start with small steps and assess the situation. If all is going well, then you can start taking bigger steps slowly and then assess again and so on. So you take it step by step. And this way, you can minimize risks because you, know, you will see it if it's working or not before you're making the next investment, whether it's in time or money. Also pay attention to red flags and alarms. Uh, 
things don't just fail all of a sudden. There's always warnings preceding catastrophic failures. So just pay attention to what's happening in your business or in your project, and you can avoid failures. And that all comes from R&D. And that's something that you've already stressed multiple times during this conversation. And KFAS stresses it often. But is it difficult to convince local businesses to create an R&D department or focus and fund R&D? I can't emphasize enough how important R&D is crucial to the sustainability of business. Without the capability to generate and utilize new knowledge, the business will not grow and eventually it will be disrupted by others. Now, the question, how easy to convince? It's not easy to convince the local businesses about the importance of R&D, but it is possible. And I think the best way is we need to showcase local success stories of how some companies benefited from R&D projects. And without real examples, it will be very difficult for them to believe. And you're a person who walks the walk as well as talking the talk. So what drove you to get your hands dirty and start your own disruptive business in orbital space? Well, I would say there are two main reasons. One is I would call it or labeled as selfish reason. And one is selfless reason. The selfish reason, because I wanted to realize my dream of having a space program in Kuwait. The selfless reason is I wanted to experience firsthand the pain points faced by tech startups in Kuwait. Because in my role at KFAS, I will not truly serve this segment unless I witness their challenges and obstacles myself. So for that reason, I decided to start Orbital Space. Of course, this puts my business at a disadvantage since it cannot get KFAS support due to conflict of interest. It's ironic that my role at KFAS is to offer interventions that makes it easier for businesses to work with advanced and sophisticated technologies. However, orbital space is not allowed to benefit from such opportunities. It's like I offer water to thirsty people, but I cannot drink from this water, even though I'm also thirsty. That is honestly almost poetic. And it seems to me that it's more selfless than selfish because of that point. So, so I mean, that's amazing. Um, so you've had other leaps of faith before in that you pursued an academic discipline in microelectromechanical systems and nanotechnology that is unique and far from common in our society and economy. So how challenging was it to make that leap of faith? It wasn't hard at all. I wasn't driven by job market opportunity. So it was not like uh, I'm trying to figure out, okay, which discipline should I go to guarantee me a job when I get my degree? I was not aiming to work for the oil and gas sector at all. I was driven by my passion to learn about advanced technologies. And my plan was not to fit in within what is available in Kuwait. I wanted to be the pioneer who established such technologically advanced sectors in Kuwait. And I enjoy my role at KFAS because it is aligned with my life goals and objectives, which is to diversify the economy by encouraging the establishment of uh, technologically advanced sectors. And so how can the current and future generations be motivated to be unique, be a pioneer, spend the extra hour in the lab and put in the work necessary to grow and innovate? You know, people usually disencouraged from doing something if they don't understand it or don't see its value. 
So to motivate the future generation, we need to explain in very simple and easy to understand way the process for innovating. We need to communicate clearly the difference between you know you know what's innovation, what's uh, inventions. We need to explain that ideas can be harnessed with tools for ideation. We need to give examples of how value is created. You know, once they master the skills and tools to innovate, they will spend extra time and effort to realize their dreams. We all have dreams and we all want to make them happen. However, you know, most of us just don't know how to go about it. And I think if we make that clear and easy to understand, we can see a lot more investment in time and effort from the younger generation in coming up with new things. So it all goes back to education and driving that point through and is expanding your paradigm, expanding your knowledge and transferring that knowledge from one generation to another. Uh, you've also got a depth of experience in working with large institutions that you know, at times kind of force employees to practice bureaucratic gymnastics. So how can the employee maintain a strong drive and not be demotivated by the gravity of larger institutions? The key point is to work in an institution that you truly believe in its vision and mission. The alignment between your own values and beliefs and the institution would ensure a strong drive no matter what the challenges and issues are. And I've seen it in my work at KFAS. You know, working at KFAS is very challenging. And unless you truly believe in KFAS mission and vision, you will get tired and eventually leave. And I've seen many people leave KFAS because of that. And so the lessons learned that I just learned from you answering those two questions is try to maintain a balance and create a system to maintain that balance and believe, truly believe in the mission statement and be inspired by the vision so that you can continue to work those long hours. Boom. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, if you don't believe, then you should move to somewhere else. This is not the right place for you. Definitely. Okay. And so do you have any books? It could be fiction or nonfiction that were a resource of inspiration for you to have that critical thinking. I was inspired by the books of Richard Feynman. He's an American scientist uh, who developed quantum electrodynamics and got the Nobel Prize for it. He's also known for popularizing um, nanotechnology with his famous lecture, There is Plenty of Room at the Bottom. And also he worked on the investigation of NASA's Space Shuttle Challenger disaster. You know, don't be deceived by, you know, his work as a physicist or a scientist in working in advanced technologies. Actually, in many of his books, um, written in a very simple way that's easy to understand. It's very inspiring. And I guess it's obvious that Feynman and I uh, share a common interest uh, when it comes to nanotechnology and space and quantum mechanics. But the main thing that we both enjoy is, you know, pleasure of figuring things out. You know, that moment, that aha moment that you figure something is just, you know, very rewarding to me. It really is. And I am honestly addicted to that aha moment. And that's why what drives me to have these conversations, because I've already had like three aha moments from this conversation alone. So th thanks for that. <laughs> um, OK, and to add to your point with Richard Feynman, a really good book to start with is QED. And it's like you said, very simple to read, very short to read. You know, you're not going to like spend hours and hours reading it. And it's a really great introduction to quantum mechanics and the world down at the bottom.
So what's an important message that you want our audience to take away from our discussion? So, you know, yes, we do have a weak ecosystem, and this is something that we discussed when it comes to innovation in Kuwait, but it can be strengthened if there is a will and seriousness in changing the current situation. You know, we should all contribute to changing this negative loop into a positive feedback loop. It will not be fixed on its own. It is our responsibility, each from his or her position, to pave the way for the future generations. The same way that the previous generations paved the way for us. You know, it is our responsibility as citizens to fix the issues and challenges that we face as a nation. Those are the best uh, words to end with. Dr. Elfili, thank you so much for joining the dialogue and for giving us some amazing insights. And hopefully the next Kuwaiti student that applies for security clearance at a space agency in the States will be rejected <laughs> because of this. Yeah. So. Well, well, hopefully by then we have our own space program, so we don't need to. Exactly. Again, <laughs> Dr. Elfili, thank you so much for joining the conversation. We appreciate every single insight you shared in our discussion. Again, you're amazing. We appreciate you. And I am so grateful to know that we have a person like you here in Kuwait. And thanks for joining the call. Thank you for the opportunity. This podcast would not be possible without your support. So please subscribe to our podcast, share it with your friends and family, check out the show notes for any references made, and engage with us on Instagram and email. Thank you. Thank you.